I'm Danielle Weisberg. And I'm Carly Zakin, and we are the co-founders of The Skim. And you are listening to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch, where we talk to other female entrepreneurs about what it takes to get to the top and what it's actually like along the way. We're talking bad advice, the really bad days, management mistakes, the real stuff. No BS. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it out than where it all began, which is a couch, which is what we're sitting on. We're on it. Join us in welcoming Susan Line to the couch. This is a big deal to us. We love Susan. Her career is not easy to skim, but we're going to try. Susan grew up in Boston, and after going to UC Berkeley for a little while, decided to skip college and get straight into her career instead. She started out as a journalist in San Francisco, and then she made the switch into entertainment. She wrote for the iconic newspaper, The Village Voice, and later she founded her own magazine. She's been an exec at major companies like the Walt Disney Company, Martha Stewart, and ABC. Yes, she is the one that I blame all the time for my Grey's Anatomy addiction. She was also the CEO of Guilt Group, and then she was at AOL. But in 2014, Susan decided to try something new, and she started her own venture capital firm. It's called BBG Ventures, which stands for Built by Girls, and invests in companies with female founders. This is definitely a mission we can get behind. Susan, we are so happy that you are here. Welcome to the couch. Thank you for inviting me. Um, before we even get into anything of substance, I'd like to talk about the fact that you approved Lost as well. You gave that the green light. Did you know how it was going to end when you greenlit it? <laughs> Did anyone? We need to push the button. No, we don't. Did you not hear me, brother? I crashed your bloody plane. How did you manage to do that? Actually, we didn't even know how the pilot was going to end. This was an idea that came from my partner at the time, Lloyd Braun, who sort of pitched this idea of castaway with a plane load of people. And we went around to a couple of different agencies and said, we'd love to see someone take a stab at this. Um, we ordered a pilot script. The pilot script came in. It was terrible. And, well, not terrible, but not good enough. Um, and we had a limited amount of time left, and we pitched J.J. Abrams on doing the script. And he said, I can't finish a whole pilot script before we'd have to start prepping, but I'll write the first act and I will outline oh the God. rest of the pilot. And we said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have many, many questions about this, but we can talk about that separately. I want to first, I think the best way to kind of set the stage for this conversation is um, to talk about how we met you, which we were your stalkers. Uh, when we um, left our jobs at, at NBC, we, like, right when we were around we, the time we left, we read the book by the um, by the two founders of Guild, and uh, you were mentioned a lot in it, and we were like, we got to get to this person. And we, so we started the scam in July, and it was early October, and we were at, we were invited to a women's breakfast, and it was at a hotel in New York, and we heard you were going to be there, and I, we walked in, and we saw you walk into the restroom. And I was like, Danielle, I think that's Susan Line. I think that's Susan Line. Oh my gosh. And 
I was like, should I go into the restroom and wait for her to come out? Or do I wait outside the restroom? And like, what's more awkward? And then thankfully, the restroom had like a little area where you could wait before you walked into the stall area. So I literally hung around there until you came out. And then I was like, I'm sorry, are you Susan? And I just happened to be waiting for you outside of the bathroom casually. I told you what the skim was. I was so nervous. I think I, I don't think I've ever talked faster, which says a lot for me. And I, um, told you what we were doing and you were like that sounds great email me we did you took the meeting and it was literally I want to say your last two weeks of guilt and then you're like meet with me next week when I go to Hua. <laughs> and so that started the beginning of uh, what has been a six-year friendship um, and uh, I, I love that story because I think it says everything about I think it says everything about you guys. Well, yeah. I think well, it says everything about all of us because you were, like, we were really nervous and, like, we, we got the skim off the ground because we networked and tried to get in front of people like you. But I also, also think it says a lot that, like, you were willing to meet with us and you were really busy and we had literally built nothing yet. And you saw what we knew we had, but you saw before we had proof of it. Uh, so I want to talk about— um, you as someone who has networked, like how you've got into mm-hmm. your different careers, because as we said in the beginning of your intro, your career is hard to skim. It's not, there's not, it's hard to say like, oh, you are the entertainment executive. You are right. the VC, you are the media executive. How do you, how did you network your way into all of those transitions? Yeah. You know, actually Ariana Huffington um, once said that her career looked a lot more logical and by the way welcome to startup life that's a drill you hear in the back of the construction <laughs> of our neighbors we're just going to keep stalking <laughs> um which is just fine um but I, my career looks a lot more logical to me when i look back on it than it did while it was happening and i did things until i began doing them by rote and then I would think it's time for me to move on and do something else. Um, so I started in the magazine industry, and I literally stalked someone in order to get my first job. I think that's a time-tested way to uh, to get what you want. There was a new magazine starting, um, and Francis Coppola was the owner of it and the sort of guru of it out in San Francisco. It was going to be the New York Magazine for the West Coast. Um, and I sort of knew the editor-in-chief because I had done some freelance work for him when I was at school. And I thought, I need to get a job at this place. This is what I want to do. And I literally went from bar to bar until I found him. He was a famous drinker. Uh, So I knew he would be in one of five bars in North Beach in San Francisco, and I went to each one of them until I saw Warren Hinkle in the back of the room. Um, And I went up to him and said, I'd really like to come talk to you. Here's who I am. I've done some work for Scanlon's. Uh, I'm, I'm dying to work for City. And... He was very charming, and he said, come in tomorrow. Um, and I talked my way into being his EA, and that's how I started my magazine career. Was that scary? Like, do you remember that moment? Uh, you know, I, I remember so many moments when I was that age being scary. Uh, but you either give in to that 
or you suck it up and you go and walk through five bars until you find the person who you think can give you your dream job. So one of the things I think that why we were always like drawn to you as a mentor is a lot of people talk about, you know, their their networking story. Like, you know, I was really aggressive. I went out there. But for us, like, it was never, like, we know how to do that. But every time it's a little bit of a pit in your stomach and it's a little bit nauseating. And, right. you know, there's always the borderline of like, I don't want to be obnoxious. I'm not that person. I don't want to like actually stalk someone. I don't want to be like, hey, look at me, look at me. Yep. And there are plenty of people that we've met in this industry that are like very pushy and make their presence known. And you are someone I like refer to as like a, a quiet force. <laughs> like you get shit done, but like in a in a classy way. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, you've um, the types of jobs you've had, you've either saved things that weren't doing well or came in to make them what they were. How did you do that without? being overbearing? <laughs> so I would start by saying I am truly an introvert who learned to be an extrovert. Uh, I mean, my I'm very happy being by myself, reading a book. I don't love going out to parties. I do it because that's part of my Which job. Which is usually why if we see you, it's the three of us in a corner. <laughs> I know. That is also our MO. Yeah. yeah. Um, and honestly, I think that, that a lot of good leaders are introverts at heart, because you tend to be someone who is looking at the people who are working around you and making sure they're okay, as opposed to thinking, look at me. But it was always something that uh, I had to think about how I was going to push myself forward. It was not something that came naturally to me. Um, and I don't think that there's a, I don't think you can learn that uh, from a seminar or from some good mentor. I think that you just have to do it. And I think you learn by making mistakes and doing it badly the first time and getting a little bit better at it the second time and ultimately figuring out how you are going to get to some person who's going to allow you to to get to the next step. You have created so much in your various roles, whether it's content, whether it's brand, whether it's a show. What's been the most fun? Or what's mm. it, what in your mind is Such like— Such a good question. That was the thing that I loved yeah. creating. So I think in my early work life, I thought of myself as part of the creative class. Um, I did not think of myself as a business person. Um, and I was not terribly interested in that. I wanted to be where opinions were being driven, where where ideas were the currency, um, where you, you know you would play with an idea with a group of people for hours and really make it better. Uh, that's what was exciting to me. I mean, I think I would have been really happy working for Saturday Night Live in the writers' room, um, but over time you realize that if you're going to be able to get the kind of creative work done that you care about and you think is great, you have to own the business part of it too. And so you learn that side of it. Um, and again, you make mistakes. One of the things that, that I've learned and that I think is sometimes difficult to remember when you're as young as 
all the skimmers are, um, is that you're going to have a really long career. You know, I've been working for 40 years, and I don't want to slow down. So you're going to have a lot of chances to define who you want to be professionally. It's not a straight line. And that's exciting. Once you realize that the choice you make now and whether that succeeds or not is not the end of the story. Did you think you would be doing this, like what you're doing with BBG now? Not at all. Not at all. It was not something that I began thinking about until I was at Gilt. And I started meeting a lot of really smart young women, like the two of you, who were starting companies. And um, it was a moment. There's no question. 2010, 2011, 2012, the world changed after the iPhone came out and after there was this sort of installed base of technology that you could build on top of. And that created new opportunities for women who didn't think of themselves necessarily as being techies. I love what you said about the creative class, because I think that's what we loved and were so passionate in. And and yeah. we never thought about ourselves as techies. We, I think, in the past two years have started to think about ourselves as really businesswomen. And I think we had a gut instinct that in order to create companies that prioritized amazing content and missions, you had to be involved on the business side. But that's something that I think we try to instill in our team, especially on Mm -hmm. the editorial side. How, and this is just, you know, a management question that we have all the time with bringing in great editorial talent and wanting them to see that path. How did you paint that picture for people that you manage? It's a really good question. Um, I don't think you can do it too fast, first of all, because I think you have to let people really get good at what they feel passionate about. Um, And over time, you can help them to understand that, uh, that there is a different path for you if you can become the boss, right? It's a, it's a whole new world. Um, You have a lot more control and you get to create the product that you dream of and not have to do something on someone else's behalf. So I, I think it's um, it's part of a path, and not everyone's going to get there. Not everyone's going to want to get there. I know plenty of people who still love being staff writers, um, and that's okay. But for a certain group of people, I think it's a, an, an awakening when you realize what you can do. Do you consider yourself more of a person who has the vision or more of the person who will get it done? Um, I think of myself more as the person who has the vision. So I ask that because before we really got to know you, and, and we have never worked with you, so I, I can't, I can only say like what we think from mm-hmm. working with you. But um, when when we first started building a team, people were like, who do you want to hire? We were like, we want to find our own Susan Line. And what we meant by that was someone who could like just get it done, like what yeah. you did for guilt. Yep. And so I'm curious, like what are the parts on the getting it done side where you felt still feel like you have insecurities? There are things that I don't do terribly well, but I'm really good at hiring people who are good at those things. Can you things. teach us? 
You are. She's trying. <laughs> well, yeah. Can you teach us more? She's been trying that, for six that's years. That's part two. Yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, I, I think that that one skill you learn over time, and maybe you have an instinct for it. I think I have some of an instinct for it, um, is uh, understanding and accepting the things that you are not great at. Like I started out as a writer and pretty quickly I realized that there was always someone else I believed could write the story better. What I was really good at was editing, was finding the right person to do that story, and then helping them to do the best piece they possibly could. Let's take a quick break. One of the hardest things that we found in launching a business has been keeping track of everything that you need to remember, even when you don't know when you're going to need to remember it. Lots and lots of paperwork, even in the digital age, it just adds up, it takes time, it is not my strong suit. Which is why we are very excited that we have recently discovered HoneyBook, uh, which is a business management platform that can help make sure nothing slips through the cracks. They are perfect for photographers, designers, event professionals, and other entrepreneurs. Um, they can save a ton of money by just really allowing them to help you automate your business. Uh, so we're very excited about this find. Anything that helps us with process, we are excited about. So for a limited time, skimmed from the couch listeners, that's you guys, can get 50% off the first year of HoneyBook with promo code SKIM. S-K-I-M-M. HoneyBook membership includes unlimited access to all features at one low monthly price. So go to HoneyBook.com today. Use promo code SKIM to get started. Again, that is HoneyBook.com, promo code SKIM. One of the first events we ever went to when we like got into all of this was a breakfast thrown by you. Mm-hmm. you when you were at Gil, you started this breakfast series with um, one of the founders at Gil or both of them. And then you've obviously continued it yeah. um, from AOL into BBG. And we we don't like going to events. Um, we usually don't find them that helpful. We usually are tired, whether they're early in the morning or after work. Um, and it is the only thing that we always go to. One of us will always go to. And Part of why um, I actually, I remember like telling this to my parents, like it's, I've, I've tracked the trajectory of like my confidence level as a businesswoman on these events because the first few, I've never been more terrified in my entire life. It was every female in the tech space that we idolized in one room. <laughs> and like Jenny Fleiss, Alexa Von Tobel, Catherine, Catherine Levine, Levine, Betsy Morgan, Betsy Morgan um, the Gilt founders. And we didn't speak. And we were, I mean, like, literally, we just sat there. And I remember being like, should I eat yet? Are people eating? Or is my fork going to make a Where noise? Where do I sit? And you called yeah. on us. I almost cried. Like, it was so bad. But then, and then I felt like that the first two. And then I remember the third. I was like, oh, we have a friend. And we, like, were, we made friends with somebody. And then in the last few, I remember going and being like, I feel like I belong here. And it was a great, like, trajectory of, like, you know, I think says a lot about, obviously, how the tech scene has changed in New York, and there are more women going to these things, and uh, you needed a bigger space for it. Um, but I'm curious how you have—how you think about, like, um, when you started this, when you were still, like, guilt into doing them now, yep. and how, obviously, that's fed into BVG, like, how you've prioritized your time to find what ended up being, like, a new passion for you. Mm-hmm. So, um, I actually see those two things as being part of 
uh, the same journey for me, right? So it was because I was meeting really interesting, smart women who um, knew that all the stats on how much venture capital went to females were terrible. Um, And on some level, they thought, I don't care. I have a really great idea. I can build this thing. I know there's an audience for it or a consumer for it. Um, It's needed, and I can do it. And that sense of empowerment uh, among young women, you guys were in your, what, mid-20s? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, And a lot of these other women were too, late 20s, maybe early 30s. But that sense of um, this is our moment, I I thought was incredibly powerful. Uh, And I also knew that that you'd benefit from meeting each other. And um, I could be the assembler, the congregator. Why were you so passionate about that? Because we've been lucky enough to meet a lot of amazing women on this journey. Yeah. But— I think I, I really can't think of anyone else who has helped us connect with other amazing women that have helped us further our business mm-hmm. more than you have over the past six years. Why is that? And everyone, I think, likes to talk about it, but you've actually done that mm-hmm. for so like, many. We literally women. have a scheduled monthly call. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that um, oftentimes one of us moves, but we have it. In yeah. Case yeah. We want to talk through something. <laughs> I mean, why is that so important to you? I think that it's because um, I can, right? Mm -hmm. So I am decades older than all of these women who I put money into. Um, And I've had a really fantastic career, but I see the possibilities for change if enough of you are successful. Um, There was a period of time where I thought the world was changing a lot faster than it actually has. Uh, I think it's been a a kind of rocky road, Um, and particularly in this entrepreneurial space and the the venture tech space, it's terrible. Um, It's shocking when you start to look at the stats. I I think it's 8% of VC partners are female, which means that anytime you go into pitch, right, you know this, Most of the time, <clears throat> the room is entirely guys. Yeah. And so if there aren't people like me who are helping you, you know, before you go into that room, um, getting you prepped, getting you in a great mood about it, and helping you to make the connections that are going to make you more successful before you have to go out and raise money again, um, those are things I can do. And it gives me incredible pleasure doing it. So let's get real honest for a second. What do you think, because you've seen us at every stage, what did we do wrong early on that Mm -hmm. made it difficult for us to raise money early on? And what do you see other people who pitch you at BBG make those same mistakes? Well, I'll tell you what you did that was right. Okay, we, that, that, let's, okay, let's okay. start with we that. We had a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and then, it was all right. And then we can go on to those other things. Um, but I think what was right is that you understood how to talk to your audience. And you weren't trying to do something that didn't feel like you. You understood that there was this thing you were good at. You were good at summarizing what was happening in, 
in the world and making it understandable. Um, and you turned that into a product that could be sold to people, right? That could actually go out to millions of primarily young women, but guys too, um, that made them feel smarter for the day. So no one had to be embarrassed when they were going out with their boyfriend's parents for the first time. Um, and I think that was really understandable to the people you were pitching to. Uh, you talked to me about it the first mm -hmm. time we sat down together, and I got it, right? So you were really good at that, and that's not easy. Um, I think that you what I would there. say, okay. <laughs> what you I would say yeah. you, uh, you needed to work on was the girlishness, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Was yeah. the... Um, the kind of, I'm, I'm embarrassed to be here, my voice is really high, um, all the stuff of being nervous about about telling your story for the first time. It's so funny to like think about it like that because it's six years ago and I'm like, oh my God, we were such kids. But in my head, I feel like I've always, in many ways, been the same person, just trying yeah. to a different body. And it's funny to think about us as like girlish. And, and I know what you're talking about, but I... I'm trying. I'm like embarrassed actually, to think how I, we must have come off. I, I I remember very clearly how we came off. Um, it wasn't that long ago, but I think that it was a moment for me at the last breakfast that you had, which was about maybe a month ago, yeah. and it was Aileen Lee talking, yeah. going through all of the stats that you just went through about yeah. women in venture funding, and um, I remember. I asked a question, and I had this moment where I was like, five years ago, I wouldn't have asked a question. Yeah. I would have been the person sitting there, having an idea, wanting to contribute, and sweating bullets. Mm -hmm. um, and so much of that has come from being in this network of being very lucky to be supported by other women here. Um, so thank you. Well, and, and I will tell you something, because this is one of the things that I think is great about New York City right, is that where out in San Francisco, out in the Bay Area, because the venture capital world grew up there, and that's where it's really strongest, that's where most of the truly storied firms are, um, there's a different kind of connection between the women there. It's been harder to develop. It's been longer coming. Here in New York, I feel like there's a real women's community uh, and that people genuinely want each other's success. That's a big victory for us. I want to talk about how you manage like current insecurities. Mm -hmm. What are you, you're in a new venture, literally. Yeah. Uh, it's something you haven't done it before. You're kind of doing it by yourself. Like you built, you're building a team, but you've sort of I have just, a partner, you have but a, yes. yeah, I mean, but yep. you guys and that you are a startup um, yeah, right now totally. within a bigger company. But yeah, where are you feeling insecure, and how do you mm -hmm. deal with that? Yeah, sometimes I think it's um, it's a blessing not knowing too much about the you new world about you're about going thing, into, yeah. right? So that you don't have, uh, if I had known a lot about how the venture capital world works, I probably would have been a lot more nervous about whether we could pull this off. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, truthfully, uh you just have to get your feet wet, right? And the one thing I knew is that I would have a lot of people coming to me to see whether we would fund them. The deal flow was never going to be an issue because I had enough 
contacts who were either VCs or, more importantly, a lot of female founders who would refer other friends to me who were starting something that was awesome. Um, and that continues to be true. So on on one level, that's the only thing that matters, right, is that you get people coming to you who are are doing great things. I think the the scary part for me is that uh, we're going to go out and start raising external money mm-hmm. soon. Um, and we've never done that, right? Yeah. So this is a... Uh, sex. Yeah, really. <laughs> and Just I've so never know. liked being on that <laughs> side of the table. I've always liked being the person who said, hmm, interesting idea. We'll think about it. <laughs> uh, what makes you green light an investment now? Truthfully, I hear a lot of uh, pitches that I think are really good. That there's a there's a good idea here. There's a there's real potential. Um, but one out of thirty, when I hear it, I think, "Wow, I really want to be part of this." Um, and they're always surprising. It's not the ones that I expect. Um, I saw. One this morning that was, I, I had no idea what she was coming in to pitch me. Um, and it turned out to be fantastic. Uh, so, you, you know, they come out of the blue, but it's usually that it, it's a combination of things. Um, it's a product or a service that solves a real problem. Um that in success could be giant. So the market for it is big enough that uh, that this could easily be a multi-billion dollar company. Um, and usually it's in a, a sector that is pretty sleepy. So we've seen areas that have been disrupted already and you see lots of copycats and someone's going to do it a little bit better and may or may not be successful. But every once in a while, someone comes in uh, who has identified a category or a sector that um, just needs to be shaken up. Do you have a go-to question? Not really. Yeah. Um, I, I have... I have multiple questions that um, that I will throw out uh, depending on how this person has gotten into the story. Uh, you would be surprised at how frequently people forget to actually talk about themselves. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what I'm funding. You know, it's a it's a founder who is able to tell me a story and make me feel like they're the person who's going to really make this work. Of all the jobs you've had, what's been the hardest one? Uh, Truthfully, probably being head of the brand group at AOL, Mm -hmm. just largely because... um, it was a legacy company that had a lot of people who'd been there for a long, long time and who sort of saw the new management that came in as being 
yeah. a temporary force. Um, and because the way the company was structured at the time, I didn't feel complete ownership of it. Um, usually, the the easiest jobs are when you get to su- uh, succeed or fail because you own every piece of it. You own the revenue piece. You own the... Um, the, uh, the platform, you own the business model, you own hiring, recruiting, all of that. Um, so you can really create uh, a plan and then execute on it. Did you negotiate before you took all of these jobs or when did you start? Oh my God, I have been so bad at that, to be perfectly honest. I, I mean, first of all, until I went to the Martha Stewart company, I had not ever gone after a job except for my my going after the <laughs> EA job I literally would react to offers right instead of thinking you know I want this um, and I never really negotiated my salary or whatever mm-hmm. my package was going to be until very late in life who taught you how to do it a lawyer to be honest um, working with a lawyer on my exit package from a company uh, was really the first time that I thought about, okay, you can have a very different outcome mm-hmm. if you think about this ahead of time mm-hmm. and you think about what you actually so want. So for those that can't afford a lawyer, yes. uh, what is your advice of how to negotiate for yourself? I think that the first thing you need to do is some research on what other people who are doing those jobs are making. And that's something that I never did either. Um, But uh, you would be surprised at how many people are willing to talk to you about money, Um, particularly if they are not in a competitive role with you at the company, but they're doing a similar thing for somebody else. I would find out from a lot of people what they're making. And then I would think about the various ways you can get to that number. So it doesn't necessarily have to be base salary. It can be bonus. It can be some profit participation. It can be, you can cut it lots of different ways so that uh, whoever is actually paying you or whoever you are negotiating with um, is able to see a way to get to what you need. Um, And I think the other thing is don't say yes or no in the room. Mm -hmm. Just say, thank you. It's been really helpful. Let me go back and think about this, and I'll get back to you in 24 hours. What's the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? Um, You know, I've gotten a lot of bad advice that I needed to be confrontational in certain circumstances. And um, I I think everybody has their own way of dealing with uh, issues they're not comfortable with when you need to have a difficult conversation with someone. That doesn't mean you need to yell. That doesn't mean that you need to to, uh, deal with it in the way that your colleague says is important. Um, and I, I think you have to understand who you are as a person, what you're comfortable with and understand how you're going to get to that end result 
in a way that makes you feel comfortable and proud. Susan, thank you very much for coming by the couch today and for everything. (laughs) So fun to see you, always. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.